Hey, thanks for listening to the Berwyn AG Podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world. We hope this podcast helps you grow closer to the Lord. For more information, you can visit our website, berwynag.org, or you can find us on all social media platforms at Berwyn AG. If you're blessed by what you hear today, be sure to share and subscribe. Thanks, and as always, God bless. Hey, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 14, and I need to make a confession to you. I love leftovers. I love leftovers, and until this morning, I didn't realize there's a scientific reason why I love leftovers. There are five basic tastes, five basic tastes, sweet Salty, bitter, hang on, let me check my notes, sour, and umami. Umami. Look at your neighbor and say umami. No, that is not an African name. That is the type of flavor when, when uh, aromatic um, herbs mixed together with meat and it becomes pungent within the food. And so um, that's really what leftovers are about. See, there's more umami in leftovers. There's more umami in leftovers than there is in food that's just especially cooked. It's just that we perceive it so much more in our taste buds because it's had time to get into all the food. Here's what the technical definition says. It says, umami is basically the function of freestanding amino acids, and we are able to taste the umami more in reheated leftover foods for two reasons. First, Reheating breaks down the protein and releases more of the umami compounds from their structures, whether it's the mushrooms or the tomatoes or even meat, and the dish will have a more rounded, savory mouth feel. Secondly, as we mentioned before, food that's had time to sit has mellowed and seasoned, and the flavoring compounds have had a chance to mingle and fuse together. Umami compounds stand out more in this scenario since they are not competing with the harsh background of the single flavors of the food that will taste more savory or umami heavy in general. Look at your neighbor and say, you are smarter now than when you came in. (laughs) You didn't even know there was an umami. Now you find out you're an umami fan. I love leftovers. I love leftovers, leftover soup. Soup is always better the second, homemade soup, always better the second day. One of my favorites is leftover pot roast. Love to eat leftover pot roast. Leftover chicken pot pie, uh, third on my list. Leftover pork chops. I love leftover pork chops. Cold pizza, come on now. Cold spaghetti, come on now. Let's get serious. 
Chili, always better the second day. But the king of all the leftovers is Thanksgiving meal leftovers, right? Come on now. That turkey and stuffing sandwich, that is really good. Today we're talking about leftovers from Matthew 14, verse 13. And the scripture says this, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from their towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It is al it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so, you, so that they can go to get something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And when he gave them to the disciples, the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. This story begins with an impossible task, really. Jesus is trying to get away on his own to a solitary place, and the, the people follow him there. In fact, even as Jesus is stepping out of the boat and trying to find some place to, to seek the Lord and to, to uh, settle his soul, uh, there are people there, and Jesus, it says, has compassion on them, and he begins to heal their sick, which increases the crowd, and people, more people come, and more people are attentive to uh, what's going on there in the, in the ministry of Jesus. And so over and over and over again, this is beginning to, to uh, mushroom, and then the crowd gets so big that the disciples look out upon the crowd, and they say, this is going to be impossible to feed all these people. We have an impossible task. And as they look around at all the impossibilities amongst the people, and, they, and they, have you ever met people who are hungry? Have you ever noticed that people who are hungry get angry easier? Right? Hangry. We have our own word for it, right? When people are hungry and angry. And so these guys imagine 5,000 plus angry Hungry people coming to them for some kind of ability to, to, to meet that need. And they immediately recognize that this is going to be a problem that's insurmountable for them. They, they, they recognize that although there's this, this grandiose success that Jesus is having, the success of Jesus' ministry has caused a new problem. Hungry people. And so they see the potential problem, and their solution is to send them away. Jesus has been seeking to gather this crowd so he can minister the truth to them and deposit eternal things into their life and into their souls. And the disciples say, these people are going to be hungry. They are going to be angry. They are going to be an unruly mob. They're going to be a surly bunch. We don't want to deal with that. So we're, we're, we're looking at them and we're seeing that there's going to be a problem here. Send them away, Lord. And Jesus, Jesus sees this as a problem. 
In fact, the master looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. Now their impossible task has now turned to an assignment from the Lord. You give them something to eat. It's interesting to me that their response to this issue of having all this need and all this hunger is that the Lord would send them to go do it on their own. Let them go find a Chick-fil-A. Let them go find a McDonald's. Let them go find some place to eat. Send them out. Put them on their own. Get rid of them, Lord. They're going to be angry. Get rid of them. They're responding as if Jesus isn't with them. Right? They're responding as if their resources are limited to five loaves of bread and two fish. They're responding to the impossible task, seeing that, saying to themselves, there's no way that we have the resources for this. Jesus flips the script on them and says, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to meet the need. He looks right at the place that is their weakness. Oftentimes when we're faced with a difficult situation or an impossible task, we respond as if Jesus wasn't walking with us. We immediately look in our pockets and we go, oh, there's nothing in there. It must be a hopeless task. This must be, we look at those, those angel trees, uh, 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 angels, and we say to ourselves, I don't know if I have the money to do that. Jesus says, you meet the need. We look at the lines of people every Thursday who come to be fed, and we say, I don't know if we can, keep, we can afford to keep feeding hundreds of families every Thursday. Jesus says, you meet the need. We look at the list of missionaries that we pray over each week, and we see those people, and we, how long can we continue to meet the need of these people who have all these needs far off? Can't, shouldn't we just send them away and say, you go do, deal with it yourself? And Jesus says, you feed them. You meet their need. You give to them. Oh, man, isn't that just like Jesus, always trying to get money from people? Oh, that's what people say about the church. All the church wants is your money. Well, here, it's the head of the church. And all he wants from them is to supply the need of those people that are around. And all they concede, all they can see is impossibility. It's an impossible task. There's 12 of us. We came into this broke. We don't have much money. There's no way we can buy a sandwich for every person out there. Well, you know the story. Jesus begins to refresh their mind. Think about, for one moment, think about these guys, these 12 disciples. What had they seen by this time in their ministry? And we're in chapter 14 of Matthew, right? Chapter 14 of Matthew, we've seen a lot. Jesus, there's a lot has happened in Jesus' ministry. Healings, cleansed lepers, Right? There have been uh, crazy people put in their right mind. Demons cast out, right? Demons sent into the, into the pigs. Over and over and over again, they've seen miracles. In fact, if we are really honest, if this is somewhere in the middle of Jesus' ministry, for the last 18 months, they have seen almost daily miracles. 
They have a history with Jesus. They have seen uh, water turned into wine. They have seen miracle after miracle, healing after healing, demon possession turned into absolute Holy Spirit possession. We have have seen over and over. In fact, the same could be said for you. Because some of us aren't new in the faith. Some of us aren't new in the faith. We've been walking with Jesus for a little while now, and we have seen answers to prayer, and we have seen miracles, and we have seen God do miraculous things financially on our behalf, and we have seen God uh, deliver us. We've seen him give direct words. We've seen him speak through prophetic people. We've seen him answer our prayers and meet our financial needs and heal the sick and strengthen the, 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 the weak and, and to deliver the lost and set at liberty those that are captive. We have seen Jesus do this over and over again because we have been walking with Jesus and we have seen these answers to prayer. And like these disciples, we cannot get it that this same Jesus is the same Jesus who's right here with us. Jesus is doing miracles in chapter 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8. Jesus is teaching um, miraculous teachings from heaven in chapters 5 and 6 and 7 and more healings in chapter 8 and in chapter 9 and chapter 10. Jesus is pouring out wisdom from heaven and healings into the lives of those who are broken and seeking and crying out. In fact, at the very beginning of this, it says Jesus steps out of the boat. The crowd is so so full of need that Jesus begins to heal their sick. Just one verse before this, Jesus is healing their sick. And they are looking at the problem of the day. And they are saying, too bad we can't do anything about that. That's pretty rough. In fact, if we're not careful, we would condemn these disciples as being stupid, ignorant, spiritually blind, and dull. But if the shoe fits, we have to try it on ourselves. Because we have been through so much. We have walked through so much, and yet we forget. Oh, times are tight. Where's Jesus? Right here. The healer is right here. The provider is right here. The one who got you this far, he didn't give up and walk away. He's with you right now. Stop looking at your impossible situation as though Jesus is on vacation. Stop looking at your impossible situation as if Jesus is absent. There's a necessity for us as believers to live on the edge of our faith every day. As we get older and more settled in our life, we don't want to do that. We want to live fat and happy. But God says, there's more. There's more. But the only way you can get there is you have to live out on the edge of your faith. You have to live on the tippy toes of your faith. You have to stretch your faith and see if once again God will come through for you. Why why don't we like that message? Because having your faith stretched is 
painful. It's like working out. I'm pretty old now, and so I realize this truth in my life. I can hurt when I wake up because I worked out, or I can hurt when I wake up because I didn't work out. That's the way it is. I, some days I wake up and I'm like, I don't even know why that hurts. I've found that if I work out, at least I can blame the workout. Oh, I must have tweaked my back yesterday when I was lifting weights. At least I can put a, a, an address to my pain, where it came from. I understand it. The same happens in our faith. We have to get ourselves to the point where we reach out and stretch our faith and believe God for more. We have to give ourselves to the task. We have to receive the assignment from God and say, I will stretch out. I will no longer respond to the impossibilities into my life. I will no longer respond to the things in my life that are, that are uh, overwhelming or difficult. I will no longer respond to those things as if God was on vacation. Instead, I will live every moment of every day as if Christ is right there ready to supply every need according to his riches and glory just like the scripture says I am willing to, to step out into that I'm willing to stretch my faith oh pastor what if we're disappointed Wah. we're always disappointed at something or another step out trust the Lord he who believes in me he said will not be ashamed Just quit playing it safe we believers need to quit playing it safe. We need to recognize that our job isn't to advise the Lord. Jesus didn't have 12 advisors. He had 12 disciples. But these guys thought they were his advisors. Lord, we think that you should send them away because we've, we've looked at what we could possibly take together in an offering and we cannot meet that need, Lord. And so you need to send them away. And Jesus says, thank you so much for the benefit of your wisdom. Thank you, disciples, for your teeming brilliance of spiritual dullness. You don't see what's right before you. The impossibility is the lesson. See, a good sermon has something for people who are just new believers. And a good sermon has something for people who've been believers for 25 years. Right? Jesus is a good preacher. He's got things to teach those people that have been just come and find him. But he's also got this message for the disciples. The message for the disciples is the leftovers. The leftovers are the most important message. The truth of God has become umami. It's been all boiled together and it's, they're now savory and they're, they're working together so that somehow you are able to, to experience a greater sense of the fullness of the explosion of the taste of the truth of God. You give them something to eat. All the disciples see is the lack is that how you look at your life? I don't have this, and I don't have that, and I don't have this and that, and don't have, well, I sure would like to have one of those. Oh, it must be nice. One time I bought a car, and somebody said, 
oh, it must be nice to get a new car. And I said, well, you could have one too. We bought it with zero down, and we have an immense car payment that we get to make every month. You too can be in debt. It must be nice. That's a person who only sees their lack. They're seething with jealousy. Oh, so-and-so has something I don't have. I, therefore, I must be lesser. You might be richer because they're poor for what they have. You give them something to eat. The Gospel of John tells us that it's the, it's the, uh, the disciple Andrew who goes through the crowd and sees what kind of food they have there. And he comes back, five loaves, two fish. The disciples see lack. That's all they could see is lack. They're blinded by the lack. They're blinded by the need. They're blinded by the emptiness. They're blinded by the want. And some little boy has a sack lunch. And Andrew says, are you willing to give this to Jesus? Sure. Let's give it to Jesus. We see the lack out there. We see the lack, the great need. And then we see the lack in our pockets. And we somehow say that that means we don't, we've assessed all of our resources. We've forgotten Jesus is the greatest resource. And little becomes much when you place it in the master's hand, like the, like the song says. Little becomes much. You say, well, somebody else will have to do that. Well, the little boy knew that you have to give to get into the game. He knew that there was more than enough if you place it in the hands of Jesus. He, he knew that, that this little bit that we could give to Jesus, this little bit, Jesus can do amazing stuff with it. So the five loaves and the two fish are touched by Jesus. He blesses it and he prays. And who does he give it to? Go back and look at the scripture there in Matthew 14. He gives it to the disciples who only can see the need. He says distribute. I don't know what that distribution looks like. If they take a basket full of fish and bread and they pass out filet of fish sandwiches one to another to one person to the next person to the next person and they're just multiplying like rabbits inside the basket and as they're passing them out there's a miraculously enough for every single person that they have every group of people that they come to they hand more and there's more and there's still more in the basket and they keep giving it more and more away what is the sermon that is being preached to these disciples if you give it to me there is more than you can possibly imagine but the assignment isn't done. They eat. They all eat. Everyone's full. And then Jesus says, go pick up the leftovers. And they go out and they gather 12 baskets of leftovers. That's one basket for every stupid disciple. Isn't it? Isn't there enough for every one of our, us spiritually disciple, dull disciples? What is Jesus saying? 
more than the teaching that He's giving to the, the newbies, the new believers out there. He's got this secret message that's going to the disciples. If you give it to Me, if you let Me bless it, if you will distribute it, there'll be an amazing, miraculous amount to give to people, and there'll be more than enough for you to take home to your wife and children. You see, leftovers are immensely spiritual because the leftovers have more umami in them. There's, there's Jesus in the leftovers. I wonder what the discussion was as they're sitting down with their 12 baskets of leftovers. I hope they were exhausted. Don't you? I hope the baskets of fish and bread were so heavy that they had to lug them up on one hip. And they were a little sweaty in the Middle Eastern sun. And they came and they all sat in a circle and said, how much did you get? You got a whole basket full too? And you got a whole basket full too? And let's ask Judas, he's coming. Even Judas got a whole basket full. <laughs> what kind of a Jesus is it that's with us? He's the Lord of the leftovers. He's got enough power to give us more than we could ever need. But it's not about us. It's about meeting the needs that are around us. You see, because Jesus wasn't just supplying their need. The most selfish verse in the, in the New Testament can be, my God shall supply all my needs. But you know it doesn't say that, right? That's not what Paul said. My God shall supply all your needs. You see, Paul was saying that he knew who his God was and that his God was able to meet the needs of all those that were reading this epistle. That's you and me. And he's saying this, when we say, my God shall supply all my needs, it's not mine exclusively. It's mine so that God can use me as the pipeline to bless others. So that I can get back my 12 baskets of leftovers that come into my life. That God gives us an ecstatic sense of his presence as we give to others, as we bless others, as we invest in the kingdom, as we sow seed into the things that God has. God is looking for the opportunity to get you a basket and fill you up with leftovers because that's the kind of a Jesus that we serve. God wants us to not see just the need. It's important for us to see the needs around us. Each Thursday night, the lines are growing. The people are increasing. 107 families, I believe, was last a week ago last Thursday. 107 families. 500 people almost that are in need. If they were standing outside the door, we would look with eyes that see only lack. But my God shall supply their needs according to his riches and glory. That means I can dig deep and know that my God is still a God who provides leftovers. Will you pray with me today that God will give us new eyes to see not just the need, but the Lord of the leftovers who is with us. Lord, we thank you for the lesson of this scripture.
We thank you that little plus Jesus is more than enough. Thanks for listening. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. We take pride in creating free content that will hopefully enrich your life and lead you closer to the heart of the Father. If you are blessed by what you heard today, help us continue to make content just like this by sharing, subscribing, and if you feel led, by contributing financially on our website, berwinag.org. As always, if there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, contact us on our website, berwinag.org, or on social media at berwinag. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.